everyone and welcome back to History Written by the Losers. I'm Anika and I'm Sudha and welcome to the very first episode of 2021. Throughout history, we often think of the progress of civilization as being slow and steady, as though all the progress was incremental and built up over time and always moving forward. That's right, but in reality, there are so many examples all over history where so-called advanced civilizations suddenly fell into disrepair and the reasons why that happened may seem mysterious at first but with a little bit of research i think we see a common theme underlying many of these decline and fall of empires so today we're going to start with the mayan civilization and then talk a little bit about the indus valley civilization cahokia Easter Island and Greenland's Vikings so that we can find these underlying themes that were present even when they were thriving which eventually led to their in some ways sudden decline so today let's start with the maya arguably they're the new world's most advanced pre-columbian civilization They carved large stone cities into the jungles of southern Mexico and Central America, and they had elaborate plazas, palaces, pyramid temples, and ball courts. They were known for their hieroglyphic writing similar to Egypt, as well as their calendars, math, astronomy, architecture. Overall, the Mayas were a very advanced civilization, and they reached the peak of their influence during the classic period of around 250 AD to 900 AD. But at the end of this classic period in one of history's great enigmas the populace suddenly deposed its kings abandoned the cities and seized all technological innovation According to historian M.E. Coe this was surely one of the most profound social and demographic catastrophes of all human history So we've had dozens of theories put forth to try to explain what happened. Some historians point to major droughts, deforestation, soil erosion, and societal collapse. Some are a little bit more absurd, even suggesting alien invasions and supernatural forces. But all of these theories still are not fully accepted by historians. However, we do have some data that has been uncovered since then that allows us to try to put together the pieces and discover what happened to the Mayan civilization. From the mid to late 8th century CE, relations between city-states were deteriorating. There was a decline in trade, there was an increase in armed conflicts. We know that the death rate increased in this period, and from 830 CE, no new buildings were constructed in the central Maya area. As the Maya were fond of writing dates on their monuments, it is interesting to note that no dates after 910 CE are seen at any of the lowland sites. At this time there was also large areas being depopulated and dynasties and elites were disappearing without a trace. So this collapse was not unique because similar Maya cities had been abandoned several times before in history and it wasn't exactly sudden either. But in previous abandonments, the Maya had been able to recover relatively quickly, whereas now the Maya lowlands were never significantly populated again. 
if we look at the period prior to the Maya collapse, there was a lot of extravagant building projects, unproductive wars, and over-exploitation of natural resources. The population was increasing rapidly, and all of these factors may have driven the Maya to deforest areas which were subsequently eroded. But Mayan historians have generally settled on a combination of three main factors which could have caused the Mayan collapse warfare between city-states, overpopulation, and drought. So the conquest of territory and the capturing of a large number of victims for sacrifice became a priority during the late classic period, as well as protection from the threat of foreign invasions, which may have led to a decline in population. Overpopulation may well have put an unbearable strain on the agricultural production the Maya were capable of managing. But far more likely and far more prevalent is Evidence that clearly indicates that Mayan lowlands suffered a sustained series of droughts between 800 and 1050 CE. The Mayans had weathered previous droughts, but mineral deposits at the bottom of nearby lake show evidence of what is called a mega drought, prolonged periods of significantly less precipitation, leading many to believe climate change was a factor, even then. So the Maya themselves unintentionally also made their own agricultural practices less productive because they engaged in extensive deforestation. The cleared land absorbed less solar radiation, less water evaporated from its surface, making clouds and rainfall more scarce. As a result, the rapid deforestation exacerbated an already severe drought. For the regions that did suffer a water shortage, the lack of rain and repeated crop failures make it entirely conceivable that the lower levels of society rebelled against the ruling class for failing to be intermediaries to the gods and providing water since their society did rotate around their gods. So it's entirely likely that the mega drought was the major driving force behind the end of the Mayan civilization. Millions of Mayan-speaking descendants continue to inhabit the region to this day. But a thousand years after the fall of the great Maya culture, the interior uplands of the Yucatan remain scarcely populated. But the Mayans were far from the only civilization that suffered a relatively sudden decline and collapse. In the Indus River Valley in present-day India and Pakistan, as early as 8,000 years ago, one of the earliest civilizations was being formed. It accounted for estimated 10% of the entire world's population at the time. They had a writing script that hasn't yet been deciphered, and cities that contained sanitation systems that remained unequaled until Roman times. Around 1900 BC, however, the Indus Valley uh, civilization, or the Harappa civilization as it was called, went into free fall. Around the time that the Indus cities started to fail, Mesopotamia was also going through huge political problems. Trade networks were collapsing between the two civilizations, and this might have had big impacts on Indus cities. There would have been less work for traders and manufacturers, and some historians believe that this is why the cities collapsed. The Rig Veda, which is from around 1500 BC, describes northern invaders conquering the Indus Valley cities. In the 1940s, archaeologist Mortimer Wheeler discovered 39 human skeletons at Mohenjo-daro. He believed that they were people killed by invaders. Archaeologists now, however, think that this is not true. There is no evidence of war or mass killings. 
Various elements of the Indus civilization are found in later cultures, suggesting that the civilization did not disappear suddenly due to an invasion, but went into a slow decline. So why was there a mass migration of people away from the Indus River Valley that led to the end of the civilization? Some archaeologists believe that movements in the Earth's crust might have caused the Indus River to flood and change its direction. The main cities were closely linked to this river, so changes in the river flow would have had a terrible effect. Repeated flooding might have led to a buildup of salt in the soil, which made it hard to grow crops. It is believed that at the same time the Ghagar Hakra River dried up. People were forced to abandon many of the cities located along its banks, such as Kalibangan and Banavali. People would have starved and diseases would have spread. Perhaps because of this chaos, the rulers lost control of their cities. Many scholars argue that these changes in river patterns caused the large civilization to break up into smaller communities called late Harappan cultures. But the Indus River Valley never recovered. Another disastrous change in the climate that might have been happening was eastward moving monsoons or winds that bring heavy rains. Monsoons can be both helpful and detrimental to a climate, depending on whether they support or destroy vegetation. So based on what scientists, researchers, archaeologists and historians have pieced together, we can tell that by about 1800 BC, the Indus Valley climate grew cooler and drier and a tectonic event may have diverted or disrupted the river systems, which were the lifelines of the Indus Valley civilization. The Harappans might have migrated towards the Ganges Basin in the east, where they could have established villages and isolated farms much smaller. Where they could have established villages and much smaller isolated farms. These small communities would not have been able to produce the same agricultural surpluses to support large cities, and with this reduced production of goods, there would have been a decline in trade with Egypt and Mesopotamia. By about 1700 BC, most of the Indus Valley civilization cities had been abandoned, never to recover. Cahokia was an agrarian Native American community that rose to prominence around 1180. It was the largest settlement north of Mexico prior to the colonial occupation of the Americas. What characterized Cahokia was its hundreds of human-crafted earthen mounds that were spread across six square miles. This effort would have required thousands of people to transport millions of cubic feet of soil via woven hand baskets for several decades. Today, approximately 80 of these mounds remain, but Cahokia was abandoned during the 13th and 14th centuries. Currently, there are two competing theories as to why this civilization ended, flooding versus droughts. Scientists found that fecal stainol concentrations closely tracked population estimates, and this suggests that Cahokia's decline began before the year 1200 and it was abandoned entirely by 1400. Additionally, oxygen measurements from the Horseshoe Lake sediments, which serve as a proxy for prehistoric precipitation levels, indicate that Cahokia was experiencing less rainfall around the time that they began leaving. The departure might have been because of the lack of rain that was compromising their ability to grow crops, such as maize. Other researchers, however, argue that political instability was probably playing a bigger role in Cahokia's demise rather than environmental challenges. There is no convincing evidence that a flood occurred around 1150 AD, and the timing is too early to be linked to the city's population decline, according to John Kelly, who is an archaeologist at Washington University in St. Louis. 
Researchers believe people departed from Cahokia during the 13th century. So we have a lot of competing evidence as to why Cahokia was abandoned and disappeared, but overall we find that the Mississippi River flooding and warm season droughts were detrimental to agriculture and possibly generated significant stress for Cahokia's inhabitants. This may have led to some political instability, but findings implicate that climate change during the medieval climactic anomaly to the Little Ice Age transition was an important component of population transformations like Cahokia's. We're starting to see a common trend emerging, and that is that climate change, although only formally recognized in recent centuries, has been a significant factor in the decline of civilizations worldwide since the dawn of time. No discussion about mysterious civilizations is complete without talking about Easter Island. Few places on earth are as well known for their so-called mysteries as Easter Island, also known as Rapa Nui. It's got these giant stone statues which is of course a remarkable cultural achievement, yet it presents us with an apparent paradox. The design, construction and transport of these giant statues on a virtually barren island, how was it done? Anthropologists have long wondered whether the seemingly simple inhabitants on this island really had the capacity for such cultural complexity. Or maybe it was a more advanced population, perhaps from the Americas, that was responsible for bringing these statues here and subsequently wiped out all the natural resources the island once had. Before we can understand how these statues were created and transported onto the island, we have to understand how the Easter Island civilizations actually declined. So the ecocide hypothesis centers around two major claims. The first is that the island's population was reduced from several tens of thousands in its heyday to a diminutive 1500 to 3000 when Europeans first arrived in the early 1700s. Second, that the palm trees that once covered the island were cut down by the Rapa Nui population to move the statues. With no trees to anchor the soil, fertile land eroded away, resulting in poor crop yields, while a lack of wood meant that islanders couldn't build canoes to access fish or move statues. This led to internecine warfare and ultimately cannibalism. However, this ecocide hypothesis is somewhat disputed. There is no real evidence of a population decline prior to the first European contact in 1722. Ethnographic reports from the early 20th century provide oral histories of warfare between competing island groups. The anthropologist Thor Heyerdahl took these reports as evidence for a huge civil war that culminated in a battle of 1680, where the majority of one of the island's tribes was killed. Obsidian flakes or mata littering the island have been interpreted as weapon fragments testifying to this violence. However, even this theory is disputed. Recent research by Carl Lipo has shown that these were more likely domestic tools or implements rather than weapon fragments. Surprisingly, few of the human remains from the island actually show evidence of injury, and most of these showed evidence of healing, meaning that attacks were not fatal. Crucially, there is really no evidence beyond historical word of mouth of cannibalism, so it's debatable whether the 20th century tales can really be considered reliable sources. 
to the other part of the ecocide theory, it is generally agreed that Rapa Nui was once covered in large palm trees and was rapidly deforested soon after its initial colonization around 1280. There is microbotanical evidence such as pollen analysis that suggests the palm forest disappeared quickly, but the human population may have only been partially to blame. The earliest Polynesian colonizers brought with them another culprit, the Polynesian rat. It seems likely that rats ate both palm nuts and sapling trees and prevented the forest from growing back. But despite this deforestation, research on the diet of the prehistoric Rapa Nui found that they consumed more seafood and were more sophisticated and adaptable farmers than previously thought. So what, if anything, happened to the native population for their numbers to dwindle and for the statue carving to end? And what caused the reports of warfare and conflict in the early 20th century? The real answer may be more sinister. Throughout the 19th century, South American slave raids took away as much as half of the native population. By 1877, the Rapa Nui numbered just 111. There was introduction of disease, destruction of property and enforced migration by European traders and this decimated the natives and led to increasing conflict amongst those who remained. Perhaps this, instead, was the warfare that ethno-historical accounts refer to and what ultimately stopped the statue carving. Previously, it had been thought that South Americans had made contact with the Rapa Nui centuries before the Europeans. However, new study led by paleogeneticist Lars Ferenc Schmitz questions this timeline and shows that no significant gene flow between South America and Easter Island before 1722 existed. So it is much more likely that the recent disruption to the island's population impacted some of the modern DNA, supporting this theory about the slave raiders. As for the statues on Easter Island, well, we still don't know the real answer, but the controversial claim from Carl Lipo and Terry Hunt is that they walked. They described their work in the Journal of Archaeological Science, where they tried to make a Moai model and tied ropes around it and managed to heave hoe it along a path, mimicking what they believed the Rapa Nui did with their own statues. However, there is still much mystery left to be unraveled at Easter Island, but archaeologists and researchers are working tirelessly to uncover our past. One of the last civilizations we're going to talk about on this episode is actually one of the most interesting. It is the story of Greenland's Vikings. They were up in the north in Arctic lands and the story of their survival and the contrast with the Inuits is worth noting. So Greenland's Vikings were also called the Norse and the Norse settled Greenland from Iceland during a warm period around 1000 CE. Then a chilly era called the Little Ice Age set in. And as the story goes, they clung to raising livestock and church building while squandering natural resources like soil and timber. Meanwhile, the seal-hunting, whale-eating Inuit survived in the very same environment. So this theory that the Norse were unable to adapt to their climate is the take that many historians have had in the past. However, over the last decade, new excavations across the North Atlantic have forced archaeologists to revise some of these long-held views. 
An international research collective called the North Atlantic Biocultural Organization has accumulated a lot of new data on ancient settlement patterns, diet, and landscape. Two graduate students actually uncovered a button the size of a nickel that initially seemed to be an unimportant find. However, the function of the button matters a lot less than what it was made of, a walrus tooth. Several walrus face bones have also turned up at the site, suggesting that inhabitants hunted in the communal Disco Bay expedition. So these findings and others point to ivory, a product of Greenland's environment, as a linchpin in the Norse economy, showing that they were somewhat able to use their resources. Findings suggest that the early Icelandic Norse were experienced in handling walrus ivory, so it follows that the Greenlanders were too. In fact, it seems likely that the Norse settled Iceland and Greenland because of their hunt for ivory rather than the hunt for new farmland. Along with this, Norse bones show that as the settlement developed from the 11th to 15th century, their diet contained ever more marine protein. Far from clinging to livestock as temperatures fell, the Norse instead managed a successful subsistence system with flexibility and capacity to adapt. This was noted by Jet Arnborg uh, from the National Museum of Denmark in Copenhagen. So the emerging narrative is not one of an agricultural society short on food, but a hunting society short on labor and susceptible to catastrophes at sea and social unrest. However, not everyone agrees with this entire vision. Some question the reconception of the colony as an ivory-focused trading post because many believe that they couldn't get enough ivory to maintain 5,000 people in the Arctic. So more research is definitely needed, but these new findings are helping us create a new picture as to why the Greenland Vikings disappeared. The new story is that they adapted, but they failed anyway. Ironically, just as this new picture emerges, climate change is threatening the Norse settlements now. Organic artifacts like clothing and animal bones, which have been preserved for centuries in the deep freeze of permafrost, are decaying rapidly as rising temperatures thaw the soil. A NABO survey of 90 sites has found that most organic samples had pretty much turned to mush as the permafrost thawed. As pioneers who weathered climate change, the Greenland Norse may hold lessons for society today. However, the very changes that make those lessons urgent could keep them from ever being fully deciphered. So if we look at all of these civilizations that suddenly disappeared, we are seeing a common trend emerge, and that is one of climate change. If we even look back to the Maya and the present day inhabitants of the region where they live, Guatemala, there is a rapid deforestation still occurring. There's a tremendous amount of change going on in Guatemala and across the world, especially in regards to deforestation and not taking care of our environment. That may lead us to be much more vulnerable to the severe drought, just like the Mayans were. We tend to think of climate change as something that is going to happen, that is coming down the line for us. But we have all these examples from history where great, well-established civilizations seem to have gone into a rapid decline. And we can only look at climate change as a very big factor for that happening. 
And what's also interesting is that the climate change tended to have after effects in almost every other sector of society, whether it be causing political unrest or crop failures. Large scale migration of people. And it's especially pressing looking at the example from Greenland where artifacts are disappearing because of the permafrost that is thawing. The clues that we can have as to how our ancestors fought against these climate change are disappearing before we can decipher them. So what's really interesting to think about is how future generations will remember us and what artifacts will we leave behind, if any. Will we end up like all of these civilizations, lost, with historians and archaeologists having to piece together what our lives were like? We still don't know if we're going to end up being the winners or the losers in the struggle against climate change that has now been ongoing for centuries. I guess that's for history to tell. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe and leave a comment and follow us on social media at History Losers on Twitter and at History Written by the Losers on Instagram. We hope you'll join us next month as we continue to delve into history from the viewpoints of the oppressed and the lost. This has been History Written by the Losers. Losers.